Say IPA, and most people think of a tasty West Coast IPA, a juicy, hazy New England IPA, or a robust double or triple IPA, and I'm no different. But I've made several of those styles in the various incarnations of this series so far, so let's do something a little different. I'm making a black IPA in this episode. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and I'm kind of excited to brew this episode's beer. Black IPA, sometimes known as a Cascadian Dark Ale, can be one of the best versions of an IPA when done right. When strong, flavor-rich citrus-forward hops and slightly roasty and sweet malts are balanced just right, there really isn't anything like a black IPA. It's not a hoppy stout, and it's not a dark IPA. It's a black IPA. And it can be equally awful as it can be delicious. Obviously, I'm hoping for the delicious end of that spectrum, and I'm not going into this completely blind. I've made this style before, with my first one being made all the way back in 2017 when I was just getting into brewing. That one I made from a kit that I got online, and it was really good. The kit included a printed ingredient list with all the measurements for each of the malts and hops, so I had something to build from from the future when I decided to start tweaking this recipe. This is a style I really like, and this will be the fifth one I've ever made. It's also a style that my friends seem to like, so I have a good test bed to share this beer with and find out if I'm getting it to where I want it or not. Because it is one that I find that I every time I make, I can improve something to get it closer to making it my go-to black IPA recipe. So it's not quite there yet, and this is another step towards that. But there's only one way to actually get there, and that's by getting brewing. So let's go to that brew day now. It's the beginning of brew day for the Black IPA, and I am headed to the store to get the distilled water, because this one I really want to make sure I do water adjustments on. Now, if you've been listening to this series since it's come back, you heard me talk about getting the distilled water before, and the last time I got it, I had to get those little 16.9 ounce bottles. And since then, we've had another brew day. My wife's had a brew day and we couldn't find those. So we ended up having to use spring water. The, for that beer, that was okay because it was a smoked beer. And the smoke will pretty much dominate the flavors. The, the, we leveled the pH just fine. It was a, It's a blonde ale base so the ph wasn't too out of whack so that that's for for a beer like that it's fine this on the other hand the black ipa with all that uh dark roasted malts that throws the ph out of whack with something like neutral like spring water and all the hops we're going to put in i kind of want those to pop by increasing the gypsum beyond leveling the ph there's a lot of additions to water in general in this regardless of what kind it's going to be and i'm hoping here's here's the point of this long story which i just woke up so that's where the rambling's coming from i'm really hoping to find distilled water because then brewing water will just flat out give me the i'll just put in zero as a base for everything and then brewing water will just tell me exactly what to put in from there which it does for any water profile but if i use spring water i don't know what my starting numbers are so I might have to test it. I have a water testing kit and that could take an hour and I don't want to take an extra hour. So I'm really hoping we got distilled water in the store. So I just parked and I'm about to find that out. 
All right, that was successful. They had all the distilled water in gallon jugs, all the distilled water I needed and more. So I got what I needed for today and I got some for a one gallon batch that I'm gonna do tomorrow, which is either gonna be another test IPA, espresso IPA for Iron Brewer or the Scottish Ale, I'm not sure, but that's gonna be for another episode. So I'm headed home now. I'm gonna get the water going and get everything else ready. I also got a bag of ice because our this is going to be a two and a half gallon batch, so a, a full batch on the small anvil boundary. So the tap water, <clears throat> excuse me, the tap water is going to need a little assistance to get the chilling temperature. So got everything in the trunk, and I am just minutes, if not less than that, from home, and going to get started. The Anvil Foundry set up, all the hoses connected, the pump is ready. All I have to do is get water in here and pretty simple water bill. I love when this nice round number is even out. It's four and a half gallons altogether. So three and a half in the foundry and a gallon on the stove for sparging. So no measuring, no converting because the lines on here are accurate. So I'm just gonna fill this to three and a half gallons and then just put a full gallon jug inside that pot and then we're ready to roll. All right, that was me switching on the foundry, and now I am setting the mesh temperature, and what I'm looking for is 150 to mesh in at, so almost there. Oop, 151, down to 150, all right. And I'm turning the power on to the heating elements, and now I'm gonna time how long it takes that to kick on, because it's been taking longer and longer, noticeably longer each time, so I think I have a part dying on here. So I'm gonna time how long it takes for this to actually kick on the heating element and contact support and see if they have any idea uh, what part might be dying that I need to replace. So I'm gonna see if I can get some answers on that here shortly in the future. Brewing salts all in, water's recirculating, temperature's up to 101, so not too much longer to go on that, but just long enough probably to weigh out all the malts, mill up the grist and then be ready for mashing, if not to go directly into the mash by the time that's all done. I've got all my grains together here in a bowl and I'm, you hear that? That's me roughly mixing them up, getting ready for the mill. So the grist for this, the recipe is, starts with six and a half pounds of pale malt for the base. Then we got a variety of specialty malts. Well, actually one more than I intended. We've got uh, six ounces of 60L crystal. Then we have four ounces of Carafa 3, four ounces of pale chocolate. And then I want to put in four ounces of victory malt. But when I went to put it in, I only had three ounces. So I substituted that last ounce that was missing with biscuit malt because it's not terribly dissimilar. And at four ounces, well, one ounce, I was going to say the four ounce addition of victory malt, but the, uh, which was originally supposed to be that one ounce isn't going to make really any taste difference at all. It's going to get me the little bit of the color addition that it adds and the little bit of extra gravity points and round out the beer should be fine. That should not make a huge difference in this. And then in the end, uh, at the end of the sparge, much like the dark mild episode, I'm going to, since that works so well, I'm going to try adding one and a half ounces of midnight wheat milled and dusted on top of the, uh, the um, oh gosh, the uh, 
mash uh, during the last five minutes of uh, the mash out and then, then sparging to bump up that color a little bit. I could be taking a bit of a risk on that because it happened to work the one time and, and has not worked so well in the past for me. But since that last test was, or last, uh, what is it, the last um, experience with it, it worked really well. I'm going to give it a shot. And Midnight Wheat, I believe, is actually lighter in Lovabond than Carafa 3. So why I picked one over the other to do it with was really just kind of a... Um, I was going to say an arbitrary decision, but it's, I guess it's more that the Krafa 3 has more, uh, it's four ounces of it. So I know I'm going to get a lot of rich color out of that in the mesh. And if I'm just trying to bump it up a little more from that, I guess that's why I went with the lesser amount. Just that's a roundabout way of how I came to that decision. So we'll see how it all works out here in a little bit. I just finished stirring in the, everything in the mash to be completely mashed in, and the the mash is thicker than I expected. I kind of it's I think this is about a seven percent beer, so it's not that big. A little bigger than my last couple of batches on the small anvil, but or the small foundry. But that that was a little thicker than I thought. So I did toss in a couple handfuls of rice hulls as I started to kind of see where this the thickness of the mash is going. And I don't, I don't expect a stuck spar. I never get a stuck sparge on here. I get one that's slowed down, but that's as simple as just loosening up the grain bed on the bottom of the malt pipe. So I'm not really worried about it. Just a little surprise. So got that going. Gonna stir it every 15 minutes or so. Let it sit for 50 minutes. Rest for 50 minutes, I guess technically, and then um, do a 10 minute mash out at the end. But I'm gonna get that one gallon of sparge water starting to heat up to have that ready for when I get to the sparge. We're only about uh, six minutes into the mash, it looks like, and the color's already really coming together. This is, it's dark. In fact, it might be dark enough to not add that midnight wheat, but I'm going to anyway to make sure it's dark enough. But the, the color of this is, I think, pretty close. Looking at it coming out of the recircling tube, uh, yeah, recircul uh, yeah, recircling tube. I guess it's a <laughs> recirculation tube. There we go. That's what it didn't sound right. It's very deep brown with some garnet highlights. So that's a very thin stream. I mean, it's like a quarter-ish inch, third of an inch maybe at most. So I'm thinking, I'm kind of looking at that and envisioning it in a sample glass, which is going to be about inch and a half wide, maybe bigger, depending on what kind of sampling glass you use to judge. And thinking of it in a pint, terms of pint as drinking it, it's going to be black, like at first glance. There's going to be no mistaking it's a black IPA. But a little more color added to it, get it a little darker, isn't going to hurt it either. So either way, I'm already happy with the color. Hopefully everything else falls in line with that as well. While the mesh is resting, I'm going to go ahead and get the hop additions ready for the boil side. The hops for this recipe are kind of split in two. We got four in the boil and then three dry hopping with a dry hopping is not going to happen for like two weeks 10 days at the earliest so i'll get those together when i need them for the boil side i am starting with 0.75 ounce of magnum which should give a pretty decent bitterness that should go okay with the slight roasty flavors it's going to have it's not going to be a very super roasty beer like an irish stout or extra stout but it's going to have a little bit of roast character in it with all those dark grains 
it's hard to not have a touch of it. And the, hopefully this amount of bittering will complement that. Then I won't have anything for 10 minutes and I'm gonna have my yeast nutrients, of course. Then I'm gonna have half an ounce of Cascade and half an ounce of Centennial. And that'll be at the 10 minute mark. Then at the one minute, or maybe I might even add this at flame out since the everything's going to be chilled in, in the foundry. It's going to be 0.5 of Cascade. Either way, it's not that big of a difference between one uh, 0.5 ounce, I should say, of Cascade. It's, it's not going to be a terrible difference if I do it one minute or flame out or somewhere in between. That's it for, boil, oh, well, sorry, whirl flock is going to be added there somewhere around five minutes. But that's it for the boil edition hops. In case I don't record the day I dry hop, that is going to be a half ounce of Centennial, a quarter ounce of Cascade, and a half ounce of Citra. That should be a good combination for this malt bill. That's what we are trying to find out. But that's way off. It's, I've already actually weighed out the hops for today, and it's probably about time to stir the mash. So I'll go ahead and take care of that and then be back with, uh, I'm not sure what step we'll be up to by the time we record next, but we're going to find out now. Wasn't anything to do between my last recording, which was getting the hops together, and now, which is going to add the midnight wheat. I mean, I guess I did turn up the temperature to 168 after 50 minutes, but you've heard that several times already, and you'll probably hear it in several other episodes. So that's been going for about four and a half minutes, a little more at this point that I'm recording. I had my midnight wheat. I milled it three times, actually, to get it to a finer coffee ground. Just wanted to the first two didn't look like it was enough, so I've got the lid off. In fact, I'm going to go ahead, shake it on now. It's just sitting on top of the grain bed, which I did stir before this so that the grains, grain bed was above the water line. Put everything back together and let the recirculation for the last bit of this mash out go through it for five minutes, and then it'll be there for the sparge as well. So that should give it just a little more kick and color and then that's something I'm not gonna have to worry about, I don't think at all with this beer now. I'm now at the point that I am sparging and I'm sparging with a gallon of water that's also been treated as distilled water to start with and treated with salts. It's been, it's probably about 167, 66 degrees because I got to 170 right before the mash out was done and I just killed the heat because I, I can live with something in the 60 range. If it goes above 70, I get concerned that it's too hot. So it's not quite 170, but it's close enough. So just gonna keep scooping this in two cups at a time and then go on to the next step. We're at boil and I just added the first edition of the Magnum hops and started the timer. So, I got about, what is it, I think 50 minutes until the next thing, but that gives me plenty of time to clean. So I'm going to go ahead and get clean everything. I was going to say I can. I'm going to just clean absolutely everything that's sitting here, so that way it's one step less when I'm done. I think I'm going to have a pretty early uh, completed beer today with that big break there. So I'm going to go ahead and take care of that and then come back with the next set of additions. Everything is clean. Everything that can be clean. The only thing that is not clean right now is the 
actual foundry, the main unit itself, and the valves, which I usually take apart and clean. And, well, I guess I just made something else dirty because I'm talking about this. Chiller is no longer clean because I put that in here. Usually I put that in about 10 minutes to go, but since the 10 minutes is coming up um, and I got a couple things to do, I got to put in two hops and the yeast nutrients. I put it in about 15 minutes early. That's not going to hurt. In fact, it's going to help really, san really, really sanitize. In fact, I think technically sterilize because it's boiling now that chiller and I got all the hoses hooked up. I got the water pump hooked up. Everything's they're going to get water directly from one bay of the sink and dumped into the other bay until it's cold water. Then I'm going to recirculate it through the pump. But that's a little ways away, not terribly far, but that's where I'm at now in the process. At the 10 minute mark here, I put in the yeast nutrients and I dumped in the hops. Really great smelling combination of hops. Cascade and Centennial smell great. I've heard Centennial called Cascade on steroids. So they're probably very complimentary to each other. I dumped them directly in the middle of the chiller. It's a, it's a, I think it's called a Scylla from Jaded. I think that's the name of it. It's 75 feet of copper coil and there's a, I don't know, five, six inch circle in the middle and I dump the hops right in there. Hopefully that'll help contain the hot matter uh, when I drain everything out instead of the relying solely on the, like the vortex of a whirlpool. It's kind of the best of both worlds, I'm hoping. I never really paid attention to how much falls in the middle when I'm done these and I've been using this Scylla for well over a year now, but that's, that's the idea. And if any, a little bit of trub or even a uh, any amount of truck gets in there i don't freak out it's i've had a little bit i've had a lot of it and more than that and always been relatively happy with the outcome can't speak for every beer i've made it's been seven years now and really didn't think i was going to be talking about this so i'm going to go ahead and stop i'm already rambling and we're getting towards the last bit of this brew Looking over everything, the one thing I didn't do a recording on when I got the number was my pre-boil gravity. I did take a pre-boil gravity reading. The target was 1.059. I got 1.056, so a little low, just three points low. Not terrible, but I do expect the final start or the starting gravity, not the final, the starting gravity after the boil to now be low as well, because this is usually pretty accurate for its measurements between the two and... If it's uh, three points low here, it's probably going to be around three points low on the starting gravity as well. That is, target is 1.069, so I'm expecting 1.066 or somewhere around there. So we'll find out. I'm not going to try to make up those three points. It's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to let it go, and it's just going to be a quarter percentage alcohol less, maybe half percentage less. It's already like 73 predicted that's not a problem no big deal we got two and a half minutes left in the boil so i'm gonna go ahead and put the whirl flock in which i just did and then in less than 90 seconds or actually i'm probably gonna do about 30 seconds instead of i'm gonna split the difference between one minute and flame out but 30 seconds left i'm gonna put those last bit of hops in Boil is done, and as you can probably hear, I got the pump running for the water. It's going through the chiller. I've got the the anvil's not off, but I turned the power off to the heating element, which should be it's a little delayed. Oh, I think it just went off actually. And now I am stirring in the middle of the 
chiller to get a little bit of a whirlpool going here to help cool this down faster. This should take about 15 minutes with this chiller. It's pretty crazy. And it's actually fairly cold out. Well, it's Florida cold out. So the groundwater is probably a, a like good 10 degrees, if not more colder, colder than normal. So with that, with the addition of ice that I usually put in when I drop below 100, this is, I think, going to go pretty quick. So I'm going to stop recording here and put my attention towards all of this and then get ready to transfer this into a fermenter. I'm a little more than halfway chilled. Actually, oh wow, I'm far more than halfway chilled. I was just pointing out now that the, not the water is coming out of the chiller pretty cold. I have it going directly back into the bucket. The bucket's still got about half, I only put a half bag of ice in. I'm gonna save the other half for tomorrow. It's still got about half of that ice not melted. So this has been quick. I wish I timed it. I'm at 74 degrees and I'm not stirring. This will be done um, in a matter of minutes. Uh, this is probably the fastest egg I've ever chilled a full two and a half gallon batch. In fact, it's down to 72 now. So I'm going to go ahead and stir this so I can complete it's 71 just dropped again. So this can completely be knocked out and I can get uh, this uh, all taken care of and have a, a huge portion of my day ahead of me. I don't even think that took another minute to get it to the temperature I wanted. I wanted it at 67. Well, I want to pitch at 67. So I was at 66, I stopped the water, it's at 65. It's gonna be 64 or 63 by the time I transfer it, but that's fine, that's, it's not, that's not too cold to pitch. So um, I have to get the, the fermenter emptied, it's full of sanitizer. I have to get the yeast, I have to get the yeast. Decant the yeast and then get this in and then all that's left is to clean the chiller and the anvil foundry itself. The chiller is the worst part. I love how fast it chills, I hate cleaning it because there's so much wrapped coiled um, uh, copper tubing in there. It's a little laborious, but I, it's, uh, I'll trade that for the time it takes to cool this down. So going to finish that up, get this beer into the fridge, get cleaned up, and then go on to whatever comes next. All right, I'm at the kind of wrap-up phase of everything. I still have to clean, but I've got everything that needs the immediate attention done. The wort is in the fermenter. The yeast was pitched, and I'm using Imperial Flagship, which is, I believe, the same strain as Y Yeast 1056, White Labs WLP001, I think. It's, it's a pretty common strain, um, especially for IPAs that's pitched that the fermenter is in the fermentation fridge the fridge is set at 67 degrees i just need to kind of empty the water out of the ice bucket i was using to chill um empty the lines going to the chiller empty the chiller wash the chiller and then wash the inside of the anvil foundry and then that's it and it should be done all that in about 20 minutes i took a final gravity or a starting gravity reading after boil, after it was chilled down, 10.067. So it was shorter than a 10.69, but not as short as a 10.66. So I'll take it. 10.67, fine. Perfect, almost. Close enough. Close enough as it needs to be perfect. So, all right. Um, this stuff's not going to clean itself. So I have to bite the bullet and do that now. 
not even 24 hours after finishing the brew. We have got some heavy fermentation, which does not surprise me from this strain of yeast and from being imperial. The the carboy is completely full of the top. I did put a blow-off tube on. The um, chunks of yeast are looking like a blizzard, a dark blizzard inside that dark wart. And the I have the blow-off tube going into a growler of sanitizer. Let's see if we can hear it bubbling a little bit here. Basically, basically been doing that nonstop since I got up this morning. So I want to take a peek. Looks good. And just going to let it ride for another few days and then take a look at the activity and maybe bump up the temperature. But right now, it is going good and I'm not going to touch it. It is a week after brewing the Black IPA and I just took a gravity reading and it's coming out to 1.009. I usually add a couple points in that for error for my calculator. So let's say 1.012 is probably where it's at. So it's got a little ways to possibly go. I expect it to get to 1.010 or maybe a little lower, but it's pretty much there. So I am going to think, uh, I'm going to think this through. I think I'm going to let it ride a couple days through the weekend. Then I'm going to do a diacetyl rest on all the beers that are in there because they're all ready for that just to... Let the yeast clean up any things here or there, uh, diacetyl-wise, although I don't think any of these beers would even uh, notice it because of the strong flavor, multi-flavors on this. But still, it's kind of part of the process I've gotten used to and I'm comfortable with doing it as opposed to ignoring. And then I'm going to dry hop this for, uh, I think, three days before I cold crash it. I, I reduced my dry hop length significantly. I seem to get smoother results. I don't know if you'd say, I, I'm getting the same flavors and aromas that I'm expecting, but they're not as biting and, and it's a kind of a sting to it, like a sharpness to it that when I let them sit for five to seven days, which is something I used to do in the past. So three days is about what I do now. And I think this beer is going to be really, uh, get a huge benefit from that. I tasted it. I like what I'm tasting. It's a little roastier than I expect. A little, a, a, actually quite a bit roastier than when it went in the fermenter. But I think that's a character that's going to smooth out with age. It's only a week old. And I think the hops are actually going to complement that really well too. And then I think in about two, three weeks altogether. Well, no. Yeah, from now. Let's say from now. So that'd be four or five weeks altogether that, that I think this beer is going to be... Uh, right where I want it. So uh, I think this one's coming out pretty well so far. It is tasting time and I have a glass of the black IPA in front of me and starting off with appearance. This is, this is black. I am not going to change this. Even holding it up to the light, it's still very, very dark. Uh, maybe you could, <laughs> if you really look deep into it it's a it's a deep deep dark brown and not black which most black beers actually are when you put a light directly on them and i was slightly worried about this when i was carbonating it and transferring it because going through those thin lines it looked more brown than black but that's just a matter of uh i'm not sure of density i guess i'm not sure we would say the the amount of beer you're looking through but in this glass I would not change a thing. It is black. I love this color. In fact, it looks like a chalkboard, the way the condensation's on this glass now. 
That's been another frustrating thing today. He's trying to get a good picture of this. It's another humid day. It's comfortable in the house, but the humidity just seeps right in. But wiping the glass off, it's like a black mirror. It's like it's it's that is the color I want. The head is just a touch off white. It has held a very long time. I had to start this recording over because in the first couple of minutes I had a something well I, I had a frog in my throat i'm not gonna get graphic i had to clear my throat and got up made sure my voice was rested and that took a few minutes and his head is still holding very nicely so that's really cool um now let's get to what makes the ipa part of the black ipa i guess we should say so let's go with start with the uh go right into aromas what i'm trying to get out here i guess another another frog in my throat but not as not as uh, violent as the last one Right off the bat, the hoppy citrus notes, which I completely expect from using the amount of dry hops and the citrus for dry hops I used, I, that is no surprise. And it's very pleasant. And even under that, there's some sweet caramel toffee notes, just the, just the slightest, very slight little coffee roasty note under, under that too. It's like the last thing that comes out. So it seems like all the characteristics I'd expect or that at least I enjoy are there. Uh, it could be hoppier maybe, but I like the balance as this is, but it probably, if it were hoppier, I wouldn't mind. Let's say that. Let's say that. So that's most of the aroma. Let's get right into the taste. Mm. Okay. At first on the tongue, I wasn't getting too much hops. I was a little worried there. I was getting more just kind of the sweet malt and a little bit of uh, caramel again, not even quite toffee, not even dark caramel, just like kind of like a milk caramel. And I was like, oh, that's that's much sweeter than I thought. Then I swallowed and bam, just the that entire hot flavor, citrus, little bit of, I'm not even sure what, little bit of uh, like a, a sour pear, if that's a thing, like a tart pear. That's a better way to say it. All that came flooding out. It came from like the 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 back of the palate across the tongue. That was that was really a nice surprise there. So now that that is probably more of a palate adjustment sip because of that. Let's see what I get on a second sip. I do get a little more hop character on the tongue when I first taste, but most of it is coming out in the aftertaste and the finish. Well, mainly the finish, I should say. The aftertaste, it's holding. Um and it's and I, I just took that big breath in and taking that breath in, releasing more of that hop character. Very, very nice hop character too. Not overwhelming. Very citrus forward. A little bit of stone fruit, like I said, with the um, kind of a pear taste there, a, a tart pear. Uh, maybe I'm trying to think lemon. Maybe lemon in in that. Maybe like pear lemon with the citrus but then you definitely got like that orange and just a, a hint of grapefruit not enough for me to dislike it because grapefruit is probably like the least favorite flavor of my that i love of anything like straight up grapefruit and grapefruit and anything i can't stand but just a touch of it to compliment that's not so bad malt side the roast is really starting to show itself in the finish as i'm talking and it's not strong it's just it's as presence is 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 known it's a, it's a weird way to say it but it's 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 like i it's like after you had your last sip of coffee and you kind of sit there and don't get a drink of any water or anything you kind of get that lingering 
coffee roast aroma around, like coating your mouth and your tongue and, and the back of your throat. That's where the ro- that's the level of roast slash coffee is coming out. Otherwise, the malt character is all like sweet malt, a little bit of base malt, not really getting a bready or cracker character, which is not surprising with the how strong the other forward flavors are here between the the hops mainly and then the roast. Let's see what else I can get out of this. It's just a really pleasant, I guess this is going to mouthfeel, it's just really pleasant texture. And I think it's coming from the carbonation level. I kind of carbonated this slightly higher, knowing that this is going into bottles. It may be a little higher than I anticipated, but in a good way, because that that I'm not getting the carbonic bite, which again is something that that's a flavor that's hard to kind of draw out when you have such strong forward flavors between the malt and the hops on this, but that effervescence of it, the the kind of crackling and tingling on your tongue when you hold it really helps express the, the flavors in this as well. This is coming out really, really well. And I'm going to say um, I'm pleasantly surprised because when I bottled this and tasted it, I wasn't getting much of a hop character at all. Now, granted, I was just getting over a ridiculous head cold. So I might have not have been getting any character out of anything, no matter what I was eating. So this was, uh, or drinking for that matter. So this is this is kind of really my first tasting, although I did taste along the way. This is my first true tasting, that the cold is gone. There's, it's like everything's clear. My sinuses are clear. So this is a brand new experience and very pleasant one so far. Let's take one last uh, sip here and then talk about it. If I'm getting any more malt character apart from the roasting the caramel, I think it's now that my palate has adjusted and this maybe has warmed up a little bit. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it has, but maybe not super significantly, just a touch. Now I'm kind of getting that, uh, whew, that bready, almost weedy. There's no, there's no weed in this, but it's, it's pale malt, but I guess that kind of base grainy flavor, just a touch. And I'm really digging for it too. I'm not sure you'd find it if you weren't really trying to pull more out of this. But that is uh, another little bit of character I'm pulling out of it. So to ask myself a couple questions about this beer. First, would I make it again? Oh, absolutely. And, and probably largely like this recipe. Um, a sub-question to that, what would I change? I might throw in a little bit more hop character. That's the only thing that I think is lacking is in the aroma. And along with that would come a little bit in the flavor, and I wouldn't mind that in this beer. Not that I don't like this beer as it is. It's a fine, I would, if if it were a style category, I would submit this as a Cascadian Dark Ale. This is what I think of when I have a Cascadian Dark Ale. And a good example of that is Haunted House by Allagash Brewing. Although I think in the past year, maybe a couple of years, they've, they have reclassified it as a Black IPA. It, I, maybe I'm incorrect, but I thought it was called a Cascadian Dark Ale or even just a Dark Ale at one point. But now I've, I, I think last year when it came around, close to uh, <laughs> Halloween, oddly enough, I think I saw it for the first time called Black IPA. Maybe that's the first time I noticed, and or, or maybe my memory is completely failing me, which is possible as well. But I consider that a Cascadian Dark Ale, at least the, the last few versions I've had of it. We'll see what happens with it this year. Um, for a black IPA, my go-to black IPA, and I don't know how many people listening to this would be able to find it, is Broken Strings Liquid Vinyl. That is a local local brewery here in Orlando, downtown Orlando, out by the soccer stadium, which is Camping World Stadium, I believe. I don't know. I don't follow soccer at all. 
So it's it's downtown. I know that their liquid vinyl is to me the gold standard. And in fact, I I based this recipe after talking to someone at Broken Strings, not the head brewer, but or the owner, but someone that worked there who was involved with um, help helping make the beers and dialing in liquid vinyl. And I took some of his suggestions and put it into this. And it's really helped this beer in some past iterations, including this one. Um, that was all from the question. <laughs> was what would I would I make this again? What would I change? Yeah, that is all from that. Would I enter this in a competition? That's a question I answered. Uh, I I have to say yes because I did enter it in a competition. This is one. I think has a chance. Depend there, there. Here's a huge variable when it comes to IPAs in competitions. IPA, just just an IPA, and not double IPA, just IPA, whatever it is. West Coast IPA, New England IPA, Black IPA, White IPA, Red IPA, Brown IPA. These are all categories, by the way. That is, I anything with the word IPA on the end of it that doesn't have the word double in front of it is the most entered category on. Almost every competition, there's always, of course, an exception to the rule, but for the most part, that's always the biggest entered or the largest entered category or most entered category. Not sure which word I'm trying to use there, but I think you get what I'm saying. I'm hoping it's really uh, like even more so in this, because when that happens, they start breaking out the categories. Like you'll have IPA, your American IPAs, your West Coast, your flat up. IPAs, nothing special about it. Then they might break it, break that out and pull out all the New England IPAs. Let's say they have 12 of those. They'll break out a New England IPA. Hopefully there's enough specialty IPAs between like black IPA, red IPA, all the ones I listed before to have their own category. Cause then instead of being against like 30 beers, I might be against 10 beers or even less. That's the roll of the dice I'm taking. I think if that were to happen, this has a good shot at doing something. If it goes against 30 IPAs, probably not because there are a little couple tweaks in here that could be made that would make it better, really stand out as an IPA. But I rolled those dice. It's the first competition of the season. I figured this is where people are going to throw everything that they've had up to now this year. Like they've had since they've had the holiday break to brew, they've had the first two months of the year to brew. Hopefully the numbers work in my favor. I won't know for like a good month from now. So I went ahead and entered it in a competition and now tasting it. I'm even happier that I did. So I, I uh, this is a wait and see. I can't even guess what this is going to be, but the feedback will be good. If you get some good judges that, that will take the time to understand what the style is. It, it's, it's kind of like the bitters. Uh, when I talked about the bitter category, people see the word bitter. Don't necessarily take the time to read the, guidelines specifically to find out that it shouldn't be just a bitter bomb there should be a balance to it with a pr pronounced bitterness of course people see ipa and might just think hops 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 oh there's roast in there it's not an ipa it all depends on the judge there's so many factors in competition and that might be i don't even know if it's a it can't be just one episode to talk about that could be a whole another series to talk about and maybe someday down the line if i really get rolling in these beer podcasts i'll talk about it but there's so many factors that could come up, but taking all that away from the future possibility of this beer as it sits now, it is a gorgeous beer to look at. It's very tasty. It's very aromatic. I would have absolutely no problem sharing this with anybody. In fact, uh, I have a homebrew club meeting with one of my clubs today, and I'm going to put, I have one bottle that I set out. I didn't pack away and put in our cellar, aka our closet that's closest to the air handler and air conditioning, so the room actually gets 
a nice temperature and I'm going to put that in the fridge today. So that's ready to be uh, shared at the meeting. Cause I want other people to try this cause I'm actually pretty proud of this. So that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this. If you haven't ever experienced a black IPA or Cascadian ale and you see it on a menu and you are a hop fan, you don't have to be a hop head to enjoy this, but you don't mind hops. Check it out. It's a, it's a really fun style. It's one that doesn't always show up everywhere, but usually when it does, it's because the brewer knows he dialed it in and he got that balance right between the dark malts and the hops. So it's, if you see it on a menu at a local brewery, I'm sure it's worth your time trying. So if you haven't before, try it. Or if you're a big fan of it and you haven't seen it for a while and I whet your appetite for one, good, go get one. Hope you enjoy it. So that is it. I'll be back really soon with another new episode. So until then, thank you for listening and I'll see you in that next episode. <laughs>